In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio, 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm director of ministry for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Folks, our guest for today, wow, he has a fascinating, like, like many of you, I'm certain, But our guest today has a fascinating life story with roots in pre-communist China. His great-great-grandfather was the last acting president of the Republic of China before the takeover by Mao Zedong. The character, faith, and worldview of his parents and ancestors have shaped his life and given him a really fantastic entrepreneurial spirit. As a matter of fact, the, the mission statement for his company says, in people, we see endless possibilities. Our purpose is empowering people to realize their full potential in everything they do. His products empower people to boldly defy the constraints of their environment and be the greatest version of themselves. Man, you know what? That kind of sounds like marriage, too. I think we have to, you know, the greatest version of themselves. If we really love somebody, you know, hey, love them to the greatest version of themselves. And I think that's what's happening here. While this really describes his his goal and his personal uh, things that happen in his company, it also reflects his heart to train and employ and support inner city youth and young adults, as well as, wow, this is cool, new Afghan refugees and formerly incarcerated citizens. His life verse is Proverbs 3, 4 through 6. I won't read that now because I want us to get going, but we want to talk to our guest and, and really find out what's going on with him and how he's serving the Lord in our community. And here to get us started and to introduce our guest for the day is my good friend, my buddy, my co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bales, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia. Dude, good to see you, man. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, my buddy. Thanks, my pal. We're glad to be here again talking about the gospel. That's the the name of the show, the good news for the city. And as we say, it is the gospel that makes a way. And and Dennis, we've talked about this before. One of the things that I don't necessarily understand, I don't think any of us necessarily understand, is God's methodology sometimes. <laughs> because what we know, Indeed. in fact, from Scripture, and what we know, in fact, from interacting with people in this world is that God transforms people's lives and then uses those transformed people to transform more people's lives. Uh, I like to say to Christian Fellowship Amen. Church, transform people, transform the world. And, and there are a lot of times I think we would look at it and go, God, you know, we have interesting stories. Some of our stories are really exciting. Some of our stories are, are full of difficulty. Some of our stories are just odd. And, and yet you're going to use us. And the answer to that, he says, yes, I will use you if you allow me to. And that's what I love about this story today. Long-time listeners of the show know that from time to time, we tell life transformation stories and how as God has transformed the lives of people through the gospel, God has then used them now to transform the lives of other people. And so that's the story we're going to tell today. 
with Justin Lee. Justin Lee is co-founder and CEO of Core Performance, a local product design and manufacturing company. He graduated from George Washington University, where he studied international affairs. His first job was at Oakley, uh, but he then managed a real estate company turnaround and sale before joining the San Diego Sheriff's Department. We'll probably get into this because those two at first maybe don't seem to connect, but we know that God has a plan and he weaves all things together. His experience working in extreme conditions actually influenced him to begin to think creatively about the needs of law enforcement and military personnel for higher performing personal protective equipment. So that wound up with him co-founding Core Performance in December of 2015 with his friend J.D. Wilcox, and they sold their first breakthrough product, Ice Plate, in August of 2016. He and his wife, Tracy, live here in the Washington metro area. So Justin, thanks for being on the show, and thanks for willing to share your story. Thank you for having me, Brian. Really excited to be here. You know, I think a lot of people um, have gone to Ancestry.com or something like that and try to do their family tree lineage. But I'm not sure a lot of people can trace their family tree lineage 18 generations, but you can't. Uh, it goes back a pretty far way. And those stories and that sense of your own history has actually had some influence on who you are and your goals today, right? It has uh, tremendously so, yes. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that for our listeners who want to say, well, how does a person who lives in the Washington metro area but has roots way back uh, in pre-communist China find themselves where they find themselves today? Yeah, it's, uh, it, I mean, very briefly, um, if you go back to my grandparents um, and my great-grandparents uh, on my father's side, so my Chinese side, they essentially found themselves uh, in the transitory state where China moved from uh, the national controlled by the nationalists to being controlled by the communists. And in the process, uh, you know, they were, they were persecuted and they were persecuted mm. for their faith. They were persecuted for uh, being quote landowners, which is a, a, a very, for anybody who studied communism, they know that that is one of the pejorative terms that communists use to segregate out classes of people that they want to make enemies of the state and uh, capitalists. Uh, basically, if you look at communism and Marxist theory, my family was and continues to be everything that communists hate. Um, and we're very proud of that. And so uh, <laughs> I think we were proud of it back then. But what we really went through, what my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather a little bit, but definitely my grandparents' generation um, across the entire spectrum went through, was seeing uh, the corrosive power of communism and how it really brings out the worst in man, um, because mm -hmm. you remove absolute biblical truth and you replace it with the truth of man. And right. the truth of man can be anything that man wants it to be. And man will, as, as my family experienced, uses uh, subjective truth to subjugate fellow man. And that is really what my family went through, um, really from about the you know 1940s through the 1950s when they were able to finally all come over to America. Yeah, and I love how as you walk me through this story, you, you mentioned a couple of things that I think our listeners will really, really grab on, but I hope they don't also miss this, is that you mentioned they had a faith story. And I think there's many times because you know we have, uh, most of us here in the United States of America, think through a very particular lens towards China and almost always think through the terms communist China first, and we forget so much of a faith story that existed in pre-communist China. And in fact, there's a whole lot of faith story happening right now in communist China as well. But through the middle of that, they suffered persecution, your family, because of their Christian beliefs. And, and again, we don't have anything here in the United States at all, like so many other countries in the world. But we're beginning to see some pressure about certain beliefs and those sort of things. And we would not want to act like that pressure doesn't exist. 
Some people might even call it persecution. And in persecution or pressure, many times um, there's one of two responses. It can either purify your faith and grow you stronger, or it can make us run back and run away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. For your family, it, it purified them, and they never really wavered in light of this immense persecution. Can you give an example of, of how they responded, maybe in a way that we would find surprising? Sure. Uh, I think the most um, illustrative example is probably my great aunt. Uh, her name is Nian Chung. Mm -hmm. uh, she wrote a book called Life and Death in Shanghai. So everything I'm about to share here can be uh, read in her book if, if anybody's interested in, in greater details. Um, but the, the short version of her story is that uh, she was challenged by, I think they were called the Red Guards back then, um, but mm -hmm. essentially the, the state police of the Communist Party. Um, other countries know them as the SS or all kinds of other different things, but uh, the henchmen, the enforcers of the Communist Party. And they wanted her to confess uh, to crimes uh, against the state um, and their crimes she didn't commit. Uh, and basically those crimes were capitalism and Christianity and not in that order. Um, she refused to do so. Um, and for that, they threatened and eventually defenestrated her daughter, which resulted in the death of her daughter in front of her. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, she continued steadfastly maintaining her innocence uh, refusing to capitulate, refusing to admit to crimes she didn't commit. And for that, uh, even after the killing, the murder of her daughter, they imprisoned her, I think for six and a half or seven years, in solitary confinement, where they essentially fed her a diet of water, cabbage, and soup broth. Um, occasional uh, changes here and there, but by and large, that was what she had to eat. Um, and uh, she maintained her innocence uh, consistently throughout her, her solitary confinement, but was able to use her God-given intellect to eventually secure her release, where she emigrated to Canada um, and then eventually here to the United States with the help of the rest of our family. That's an amazing story. And I think there are many times I'm actually just walking through with our church right now at Christian Fellowship in Ashburn through the book of Ruth of the 10 years in Moab, where the whole lot of ugliness was happening. And we often ask questions in the middle of, things we don't understand and hurt God, where are you? But we know he's still there and he's still providentially working through. And certainly the story of your aunt has come to bear fruit in many ways, but one is in your particular life, um, influenced you and how it shaped you. In fact, uh, even your career choices and uh, your grandmother, though, as well, she led you to faith when you were 10 years old. Is that correct? She did. Yeah. I, um, my, my father, though, a man of faith and my mother, you know, bo both parents of faith, didn't feel that they were adequately equipped to lead me to Christ um, and knew that my dad's parents were. And mm -hmm. so when I was 10 years old, they, they sent me to Hawaii, which is where my grandparents were living at the time, to Hilo. And uh, they were very smart. They couched it as a, uh, you need to go see your, your grandparents and spend some time with them. Um, you know, and so 10 years old, I was just like, okay, cool. I get to fly on a plane by myself. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a neat adventure. A uh, short story long, they did, um, you know, my grandmother uh, read uh, the word with me, uh, to me at first, and eventually with me throughout this 10-day journey. And there was one evening in particular where we were just reading the word, and, and I've actually never shared this story in quite such a public forum, but I'm happy to do so because it's not really mine to keep. Um, and uh, and as we were reading the word, I had a, an absolute, I, I definitely met the, the Holy Spirit. Um, it's the first and only time it ever happened in my life. Um, I could describe it vividly. We don't really have enough 
time to do that, but I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening to this um, have had a similar experience, or at least I hope so. And no matter how much backsliding I've done in my life, and by the way, that's been tons, (laughs) um, and however many faith challenges I've had along the way, this one moment was so cemented in my memory and in my heart, I've never actually ever lost faith, despite uh, whatever sins I may have committed along the way, um, because it left me with absolutely zero doubt um, that the Holy Spirit was real and very much alive in my life. So the day after that event uh, is when I was saved. Um, and my grandfather is actually the one that um, kind of led that that ceremony at the church yeah. and mm-hmm. that they had in, in their home. And yeah, um, yeah, that was 1990. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for just sharing that and how God has worked. Now, um, you know, the background you sort of shared, you growing up, your family was blessed comparatively. Certainly you had some financial success and privilege and uh, one of the things is your father's successful businessman, as we got to know, sort of, you know, off air is that he made sure that you did not take that for granted and taught you how to respect hard work and taught you how to persevere. And in many ways, I like to use this term, have some resilience, uh, mm-hmm. lets you to be able to persist and overcome roadblocks in your career path, which makes me want to make this turn now to your career path, because when you finish college, you had a particular career path. And, and I, I laughed when I knew we were going to talk about this because, you know, when I finished college, you know, now I'm a pastor, I was a political science major heading to law school. I thought I had a very particular career path and God had different things. Your career path didn't materialize the way you hoped it would. But how did this sort of guide you into eventually a career in law enforcement? And now it's even pivotal in what you're doing today. No, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know that there is a direct connection between um, that career intention not materializing and law enforcement, other than to say that uh, my parents very much imbued me with the story and the history of our family. And with that came a tremendous gratitude for all that America provides for citizens. And uh, mostly that, that centers and focuses around opportunity. Um, And so without that opportunity to have a fresh start, our family literally would have just died at the hands of communists in China. And um, we owe that second chance to America and to everything that she stands for. And so uh, that really bred in me a deep sense of service and indebtedness to this country. And with the um, you know, the, the blessings that the Lord bestowed upon my father and with his business and, you know, my mom and my dad together, um, I felt that I represented the first generation where my family had a chance to return the favor and mm. um, pay, you know, make good on this debt of honor that we have with this country. And so that was kind of where the original career path intention had come from. An opportunity presented itself for uh, me to go to the police academy and eventually join the San Diego Sheriff's Department while I was running uh, my real estate business at the time. And so I viewed it as like, well, I, I have been given this opportunity. I must take it. Um, and I must take an opportunity to serve my you know, fellow citizens and do so in whatever c- capacity the Lord puts in front of me. And that was what he did. So yeah, that's how I got there. And sometimes it is basically the stepping in the light that God gives us at the time. You know, the Bible says, uh, the, your word is a light under my path. And I love the visual. It didn't say a light down the whole path. It just gives us this idea that's right in front of us. And sometimes we don't even see yet what he's doing. We just see the next step and we'll be willing to step in in faith. And that, that's a lot of your story. And along the way, um, you've had some people come alongside of you. People like Ron Fowler, former co-owner of the San Diego Padres. 
um, a, another man named Bill Babcock that sort of guided you? How did they come into your life and their influence now, in many ways, now influence you and encourage you to be that type of person for other people in our city who maybe don't see the light of the future that God has for them? Yeah, I, I think there's two distinct ways. Each each of my mentors, uh, I mean, I, I think people would be lucky to be blessed with one. I happen to be uh, incredibly blessed to have two mentors. And uh, when Ron first took me under his wing, uh, it was shortly after my dad passed away in 2008. Um, and he he uh, basically reached out to me through his his daughter, who I'd known for some time, and wanted to have lunch. And during this lunch, you know, he had expressed a desire to mentor me and take me under his wing. And I, I asked him, I was like, you know, I, I used uh, different words, but in short, it was just like, why would somebody as powerful and important as you, who has so many other things to do, um, you know, tens of thousands of employees and so many demands on his time, want to take three hours out of his day, his work day in the middle of the day to mentor me. And he, he put it very succinctly. He said, you know, Justin, there've been people along the way that have helped me and I will, I will back you and I will mentor you. And, and I've got you the only, I only ask one thing in return. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he said, that is when you are presented with an opportunity to pay it forward, I ask that you take it. Mm. And that's it. And yeah. I said, okay, that's a, that's a simple but powerful covenant, and it is one that I will honor. So, yeah. um, you know, we've been friends and mentor-mentee uh, since, and, you know, 13, 14, I think I've probably known him 15 years, but, um, you know, we've been in this, this, I guess, more formalized mentor-mentee relationship for about 12 or 13. Uh, and so when the One Heart DC and then the opportunities in DC Ward 7 and 8 came up, it, and, and start, starting with the Afghan refugee opportunities, uh, it, it very much struck me as like, this is part of my word that I gave to Ron. Um, yeah. So I will pay it forward here. You know, um, in terms of Bill Babcock, the, the short version there is that he helped me see that the world does not grant equal access to everybody. Um, and that we have put in place, modern America in particular, has put in place a series of ritualistic practices and barriers and clubs essentially that 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 are um that, that are basically modern universities and colleges mm -hmm. and that these modern universities and colleges um are very much designed um to keep classes separate and sure. that they require all kinds of ritualistic practices and mentorship to understand the codes and practices and whatnot that get you admission into these clubs. But without access to those mentors, to those coaches, to those teachers, uh, to the systems that help teach you about SATs and all that, those other things, it's not equal access. So kids, you know, that don't grow up going to the right schools with the right teachers and the right parents, et cetera, they simply don't have the same opportunities. And if their parents can't afford it, then they just end up with a life in debt. And Bill is the one that taught sure. me this and taught me that, hey, in order to really have a not only a, a sound democracy, and Bill's not a man of faith, but he did tell me, you know, he has taught me a lot about how, um, you know, in order to promote equal rights and equal opportunity, um, you know, there need to be other mechanisms for underprivileged uh, kids to be able to uh, get the skills that they need to be successful independent of these other institutions. Yeah, I love that summary, like equal opportunity does not mean equal access. Um, you, you've got to get at, you've got to get into that opportunity in that way. That's such a great way of summarizing. And part of that has been then you coming alongside some of your, your vision that you have in the district where there are young people 
who then, with help of mentors and help of others, can begin to acquire these new skills uh, to help their access to get into that path to thrive, that equal opportunity. And um, it's really sort of this part of this many faceted plan, as I understand it, uh, to give the mentors, disciples, opportunities for employment and serve their community. Can you describe how you're you know, locking arms with uh, other businesses that people may not think about it through a Christian lens, maybe say like Microsoft, but also mm-hmm. nonprofits, DC Dream Center. We've talked about them here on the show before, very much connected and rooted in National Community Church there in Washington, DC in the area and other churches there in Ward 7 and 8 to make a re- uh, this, this difference a reality. Yeah, absolutely. We have kind of a two-prong approach here that we're looking at, um, and and companies like Microsoft have jumped in the fray, and we're very excited to be able to to build this vision out with them. And essentially, it, it, it comes down to two parts. Uh, the first part is basically for 18 and under, and it's it centers around a concept that we call skill stations, where us and Microsoft and other companies like us together will uh, create workstations um, at places like, you know, um, the Dream Center, mm-hmm. where we will keep create projects with step-by-step instruction where after school, during school, whatever, um, kids can come in and they can learn a job skill, learn how to build a product, whether that's a coding project, whether that's a soft good to carry some of our thermoregulation tools, whatever. And we will provide those infrastructure tools, whether it's a sewing machine, patterns, computers with Adobe software, right. et cetera and um, walk them through those programs. The other part is a high school apprenticeship program that we've started here at Core Performance um, that basically uh, provides opportunities for a phenomenal career path that uh, teaches on-the-job skills, hard skills that are marketable and usable, mm-hmm. um, that are in high demand in today's marketplace. Um, and it takes place for, it's, it's offered for basically kids where college isn't the right fit, but we feel that our numbers are very compelling and that actually kids who go into this apprenticeship program can come out far ahead of their four-year university counterparts, especially financially, but they'll be equipped with real skills that employers like us need and will hire immediately. And this same sort of vision and heart is what you got connected with One Heart DC, which obviously is the co-sponsor of this Good News for the City show with WAVA, and taking it from people maybe in Ward 7 and 8, but now people who need employment as Afghan refugees. And mm-hmm. certainly your family history and the people who've invested in your life has influenced these choices. Give our listeners an idea of what this looks like for maybe someone who's an Afghan refugee. And remember, if you want to get connected, you can. You go to oneheartdc.org forward slash Afghans to find out more. And if you do that sort of in the last 60 seconds or so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My grandfather was a translator for U.S. forces uh, in China. And so that's kind of the root of of where this comes from and and wanting to give these uh, Afghan allies our our friends who put their own lives at risk, um, you know, to help us for 20 years. So we're we're looking at at ways that we can employ them and equip Mm -hmm. them with skills, uh, hopefully in in cells of their families um, to keep things easy and help with their transition. We believe, and we have, thankfully, we've been blessed with sufficient demand uh, for our product and our company's capabilities that uh, I think we'll be able to to create a few jobs for them and and hopefully help some families along the way. Well, Justin, I love this story and thanks for your willingness to share it. And this reminder that God uses people that he transforms to then make a difference in the world, to to transform the world. And that is one of the ways and one of the mechanisms that the good news moves forward. The gospel makes a way in all of our life. Dennis, every time we have an opportunity to hear real life stories, and I was making real life impact, I know it encourages me and I'm sure it encourages you as well. Amen. Just, hey, Justin, thank you, brother. God bless you for being with us, man. It's a powerful story. You're doing great work. I'm, I'm so appreciative 
folks, if you want to hear this again, and I think you should, go to goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. You can also um, learn more about Justin and what he does at coreperformance.com. That's Q-O-R-E, Q-O-R-E, performance.com. And also, as Brian shared with you, um, more on the, the Afghan issue and One Heart DC, oneheartdc.org forward slash Afghans. Justin, Brian, guys, thank you again. God bless you all. Hey, folks, we'll see you again next week. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.